Welcome to the Fire the Family podcast. Did you know the average American is behind on their retirement savings? Imagine if your family could learn to budget, save, and invest enough to become financially independent. I'm here to show you through my own experience exactly how you can get on the path to financial independence and reach retirement on or before the age of 65. From age 19 to 28, Kayla and I have been married for nine years, had three boys, and earned four degrees combined with no student loan debt, and have taken our household income from zero to over $130,000 a year. We both want to invite you to firethefamily.com, where we have free tools and resources that you can use to get started on your financial independence journey. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, welcome to episode 25 of the Fire the Family podcast. I'm Nick. As always, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about creating your family financial plan. It's going to be a relatively short episode. I'm going to give you a behind the scenes look at some of the things that is going on with the website, some of the arenas I think I want to get into in the near future based on questions and feedback of our listeners and people that visit the website and really want to get into talking more specifically about income, generating more income, increasing income from your nine to five job, moving from minimum wage to a higher hourly income or even a salary position and getting yourself into maybe a more lucrative industry, those types of things, uh, ways to increase our income. So many people and so many financial gurus out there want to focus specifically on uh, reducing expenses and staying out of debt. While neither of those things are bad, they're really just one small piece of the overall puzzle and doesn't go nearly as far for the amount of effort. So I can get you down, if, if you were to hang out with me for a month, uh, I can get you down to a relatively low expense rate, uh, cut out a lot of the extras, obviously, like restaurants, and get your grocery bill down, uh, cut out some excess subscriptions that you might not be utilizing, things like that. Uh, but really, you can only go down so far before it gets really uncomfortable. And then you've got to start thinking about, okay, this is where my savings rate is. I want it to be a little bit higher. Uh, what can I do? Well, the biggest lever, the best bang for your buck that you can pull is essentially increasing your income, whether that's generating or creating new revenue streams, uh, getting an education or learning a skill to be worth more money in the marketplace, get a better job. Uh, Those are all things that you can do to increase your income each month. And those are really what I want to harp on um, and what I want to uh, help all of you with if that's something that you're interested in. And so one of the things I'm going to do is kind of go backwards and start from the beginning of when I created the website, firethefamily.com, and talk about how I took it from brand new, brand new domain, uh, no content on the website whatsoever back in like June, July timeframe of 2019, all the way up until now, um, where we're getting uh, b- between five and 10,000 views per month and being able to generate some income off of that uh, to where at least today the website is self-sustaining. So it doesn't cost me uh, any money out of my pocket to run the website uh, or to um, uh use some of the tools that I'm using. So it is self-sustainable at this point and anything more is basically going to be a profit from the website or an additional revenue stream. The great thing about creating a website 
is you can you can generate more income than you would in like a single family household rental, not accounting for uh, equity that you might build in the house, uh, but generally speaking, a good cash flow for a single family rental property is like 150 to 300 bucks a month after everything's taken care of, all expenses are, are paid out and you have money set aside for repairs and, and things of that nature. Uh, and you can you can make a website in less than a year and it can potentially generate two, three, four, five times that amount and it's zero really zero down payment, uh, just not not a lot of money required to get started other than really sweat equity. And so I'm not going to uh, get in too much into like SEO and all that kind of stuff, but I do want to lay out a framework for all of you. If there's an interest in creating your own, you know, kind of online business in a sense, you don't necessarily have a product other than your content, uh, but you're able to generate a revenue stream from uh, something like uh, your expertise or your past experience or things that you just absolutely are passionate about. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to share that with all of you. I think that it's something that's really been top of mind lately. I've had some family members um, and friends get kind of wrapped up into some pyramid scheme type stuff. You know, when your friend that you haven't talked to for a long time is like, hey, I've got a business opportunity for you. And then you'd like, they present you with this product that they're selling, but they really just want to sign you up underneath them. Uh, so then you can go and sign up people underneath you. It's that kind of stuff. And I see a lot of stuff on social media about starting your own business and all these work from home moms and, and things that are, are really just getting roped up in, in these types of schemes and get rich quick type stuff uh, where there is a path that you can, uh, you can do this kind of thing and you don't have to be an expert with web design, but you can set it up to generate a pretty significant monthly income and really take care of some of your bills. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun if you're into a, uh, you know, creating a content. So that's kind of a plug for where I would like to be going in the near future, uh, probably another month or two out from creating content like that. And right now I'm focusing on finishing up my course for, uh, budgeting. So it's a 30 day course called, does it fit your budget? And the idea behind it is basically to uh, hold your hand for 30 days, give you some actionable steps to take to put a budget in place. Um, hope it's kind of geared to people that don't budget or haven't budgeted or haven't uh, had found success budgeting in the past. And then that will walk you through it for 30 days, give you some milestones, give you some content to uh, learn from and uh, see how much money you're able to save. So it's, it's in the form of a challenge. I'd like to really challenge each person that takes it to see how much money they can save that month and just by reducing their expenses. Because that's the first step in all of this is, is reducing your expenses and getting uh, to a point where you understand just how low your uh, monthly expenses could be and then you can start adding money back to the areas that you want to spend more in. For our example, uh, in our life, when we first started doing that, we got down to like 3,700 bucks a month was our like bare minimum, you know, housing, food, clothing, shelter, uh, all that stuff, our basic needs and uh, some of our bills, right? Like our subscriptions, like things that we have that we can't cancel because they're under contract or something like that. Uh, and so that was really painful for us, for our family of five and with diapers and wipes and, and all the things that we like to do. And, um, and so we started adding money back to that into the, into the buckets that we really, uh, we really prioritize. And, and those things are uh, giving us a little money to eat out each month. We like to go out to eat as a family a couple times a month, uh, giving my wife and I some money to get some, get coffee regularly um, things of that nature, right? Things that we like that are kind of comfort or convenience and uh, adding money back to those, those areas. 
So today we're going to talk about creating your financial plan. Oh, last thing I want to say about the, the does it fit your budget is that uh, to anyone that subscribes, anyone goes to the website, firethefamily.com, inputs their email address anywhere on the website, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna send you the course for free. So uh, the only reason I'm charging or going to be charging people to buy the course is because it's been proven. You have to have skin in the game to stick with something that's difficult. And the only skin in the game I can really require somebody to take something like a, an internet course is to pay for it. So it's not going to be super expensive. It's not going to be over a hundred dollars. Uh, it's, I don't even know. I haven't even nailed down how much I'm going to, what price point I'm going to put on it, but it's going to be just enough to be like, okay, yeah, like I, I paid for this. I want to, I want to stick it out. I want to spend 30 days. And I myself have started so many free courses online that I didn't finish. And had I paid for it, I would have, I would have been more motivated to finish that. So, um, that is the idea and transparency behind why I'm doing that. But if you subscribe on the website, give me your email address. That's all we need. And I will be sending you a free code to, uh, download that course, uh, when it launches or before it launches, you might get early access. All right, creating your family financial plan. A financial plan is essential if you want to build wealth for your family. Financial plan is a comprehensive evaluation of your current household income and expenses and your projected household income and expenses. It allows you to protect or project your financial variables into the future to align it with your long-term financial goals. By knowing your current financial variables, you can predict future income, assets, and make plans for your retirement withdrawals. So essentially, a, f a financial plan is basically identifying where you're at today and identifying where you want to go in the future and working backwards to connect those two dots. What steps do you need to take today to get you on the right track to reach the goals that you identify for the future? So depending on who you talk to when it comes to creating a financial plan, if you go to like a certified financial planner and you go to their place of business, it's much like an insurance salesman and most of them start out in insurance sales. And I looked into, I looked into getting into that industry uh, a number of years ago before I got into software sales. And um, the reason I didn't is because part of me feels wrong to to recommend products and services, especially financial products and services to clientele or customers, friends and family uh, that may not be in their best interest, but my best interest. And so certified fin financial planners, they're a lot of times they're going to recommend things like front ended mutual funds where you're going to have really high management expenses and fees. Um, Things that their commission is higher on, they're going to recommend to you. And that, that just kind of takes the, all the wind out of my sails when it comes to being excited to meet with somebody about handling my money. It's that they need to be 100% focused on me and my goals and not trying to hit their quotas, monthly, quarterly, you know, end of year quotas. And that is the primary reason why I didn't pursue a career in that field. Uh, while it's not wrong and I'm not saying don't go see a certified financial planner. I recommend it in almost all my posts because, I mean, they have the credibility to stand behind the things that they're saying. And I necessarily don't like I don't have any credibility to say don't go see a financial planner. So I'm not going to say it. But do your research. Take what they say and research it yourself before making any decisions. If you do go visit a certified financial planner or anybody in that realm, don't make any decisions the first visit or on the spot, it's your money, it's your future, 
and really do your own due diligence to find out if what they're telling you is accurate and is is the best route okay so that's all i'm going to say on that uh setting your financial goals so typically you don't want to just get in your car and start driving without a destination in mind when i'm going to the supermarket i'm going to go get in my car and i have that destination in mind and so naturally i have a good idea of the route that it takes to get there uh, while i may not know every single turn you know like the back of my hand and be able to just in my mind go all the way to the store all the way to the place that i'm looking at going i have a roundabout idea of like the direction i need to be heading i have a good idea of how long it's probably going to take me to get there and then you know obviously if there's a pothole in the road or if there's construction or a detour then i have to kind of just roll with the punches along the way um, but i know that if i want to get there quicker i can put the pedal down and give give the car a little more gas or electricity if you're driving a tesla uh, or i know that if um, maybe on the way there's a you know, a coffee shop and I want to stop and, and, uh, take 10 minutes to grab a coffee while it's going to slow me down a little bit on my way to the store. It may be worth it for a little life experience, a little enjoyment, satisfaction, that kind of stuff. Setting financial goals is really just like that metaphor. Uh, you kind of need to know when you want to retire, what age traditional retirement age is 66 years old. And when I talk about financial independence, retire early, I'm really talking about retiring any time before that age. So you could retire at 60 and still technically be considered retired early. Definitely if you retire in your 50s, 40s, 30s. And that's talking about like true retirement, like you're done working, you're not working anymore. So I will consider myself retired, at least financially independent, when I have enough income from other sources other than my w-2 income where i do don't have to rely on that w-2 income to cover my expenses that's when i will be cash flow retired slash financially independent slash be able to take any opportunity that presents itself um, for reasons other than financial reasons so i don't want my future the second half of my life to be di dictated by making decisions because I have to out of desperation or necessity for financial gain. Uh, I really want to make decisions from a passion standpoint, from a goodwill standpoint, from volunteerism, helping others, giving back, all that kind of stuff. So for me, that's really important to work towards. So my goal is to be financially independent by the age of 45 and I would like to be like true, true re retired uh, before 66. So I probably, I probably want to completely stop working other than maybe like being a substitute teacher, maybe a college professor, um, you know, something that I can have a much more flexible schedule, maybe even just business consulting in general uh, by the age of 60. So that's my ultimate goal. So I do want to actually retire early, but I do want to become... Um, uh, financially independent much earlier than that. So those are my end posts, right? Like those are, that's my end zone. I know that when I reach that, I will have quote unquote made it. And that will be the goal that I'm working towards. I will know that I've completed that goal when I can say at 45, I'm financially independent. And for me, what that means, um, like I said, cash flow, financial independence, uh, or cash flow, fire, cash flow, fi, however, whatever acronym you want to assign to it. Um, I would like, and Actually, I'm probably going to reach that sooner than 45, 
Um, and at 45, it would be really neat to actually be financially independent, say, hey, I have 25 times my annual income that I want in retirement uh, already taken care of. And so for me, if I want to have 1.5 million in the bank by the age of 45, let's say, I will need, um, uh, that will pay me out 60,000 a year roughly in retirement to where I can reasonably assume that it's going to last me for 30 years per the Trinity study. If you've never heard of the Trinity study, I've got the posts on or the article on my website. Uh, you can get to it from the most recent blog post. It's down in, down in about the middle part of the post. It'll take you to the Trinity study. And then I also have a link to download the actual PDF study itself, which is a really great read. And um, I think lends a lot of credibility to the idea that uh, in order to reach retirement, you've got to have a significant amount of money, a multiplier of what you actually want to uh, pull out in retirement in a nest egg slash savings account. So um, for me, I'm going to revise what I said a little bit. I probably want to be cash flow financial independent by 35, no later than 40. And that's, that's using additional revenue streams like the website um, or some of my other products that I have going on. Um, and then be actual financial independent by 45 and then true retire by 60. So as of today, these kind of things morph. The more I look at it, the more I learn and the more I talk out loud, these things sort of morph into uh, different things throughout the year. And it's funny because I've been writing and been creating content for nine months now. And my perception on what financial independence was, you know, seven, eight months ago is a lot different than it is right now. Uh, and I'm sure it'll change again in the next year. And so it's really a thing that um, changes as you get older and as your priorities change and as you learn more and mature more. And um, it's really something to keep track of and, and keep a temperature of like, hey, uh, what's changed in your life? And does that change your end game? Does that change the age that you want to reach some of these, these, these goal posts, you know? So that's something to think about. Um, so when do you want to retire? Uh, you really need to nail down a, an age. And age is really the, the, the metric that most people use to determine these things. And like I said, retirement's kind of a fuzzy word. Traditionally, it means to quit work. But really among fire, financial independence, retire early enthusiasts, it's more nuanced. Most people just want to get out of the rat race and do something that they love. Um, and that's, that's something that they work towards. So goal two, how much money do you need to retire? I've already touched on this a little bit, but per the Trinity study, you need about 25 times your annual income in a retirement account to reasonably assume it'll last you for 30 years of retirement. This is assuming that you have zero income from employment or other sources. So if you want to retire with 1.5 million in the, well, let's, if you want to retire with a $60,000 a year income, you need to have about $1.5 million in the bank. Uh, if you work backwards from that goal, those two goals that we identified, then you now know the really like the track that you need to be on. I like to use the fire flow chart that I made on the website. There's a, a page just for that. And it really lines out majority of the common steps that people will face from start to finish. And it gives you a good visualization to say, hey, these are the, these are the things that are coming up as well as look how far we've come. And so it's really powerful from that standpoint. And 
I found it very useful and in trying to explain some things to my wife uh, who isn't as interested in this as I am, but she definitely gives me the freedom and the trust uh, to explore this and to put our family on this, this sort of a track. And she's a saver and she's very minimalistic when it comes to materialistic type things. And um, she's a really great partner in, in our financial journey. And so that's important to make sure you marry the right person. <laughs> uh, so, when you're working backwards, you can't you can you can lay out the steps, but it's really difficult to know exactly what is going to come down the pipe. And so you can get a good idea of that by using the fire flow chart. But I also like to use a fire calculator, which I have a link to one of those as well. Uh, it doesn't have like a, a nice looking graph along with it, like some of the um, other calculators on the website or on the internet. But go just Google fire calculator, pick one and run the numbers. And I like to do that like probably once a quarter, maybe every six months, just to see where we're currently at and to see uh, really where we want to go. And it's really motivating to say like, man, I'm really close to hitting that hockey stick point on the graph where my net worth just starts taking off because of compound interest. And it's really exciting to see like you're just you're getting closer and closer to where you want to be over time. Uh, some of the financial variables that you're going to um, work with are, are um, how you'll invest your savings, your rate of return, and how much you'll need to contribute. So um, you'll need to decide what vehicle you're going to invest in, uh, what kind of account, like 401k, an IRA, traditional versus Roth. Maybe it's a 457B if you're um, a teacher or uh, work for the, the city, county, state government, uh, just depending on what you have access to. Um, maybe it's a SEP IRA if you're like self-employed. Uh, you'll need to identify those things and then you'll need to identify what vehicle you're actually going to be investing in within those accounts. And so it might be a total stock market index fund. It might be a real estate investment trust or a REIT that we talked about in the last podcast episode. Uh, you, it's really, I mean, that's, it's that part of the ball game is really up to you. And I've written extensively about what I do and what I would recommend family or friends if they were to ask me for advice. Um, I would recommend the starter get invested uh, a foundation of VTSAX or something similar that's got a low fee. It's an index fund, gives you access to over 3,500 stocks. Uh, it's basically betting on the total United States economy. Um, and then it gives you some diversification right off the bat. It's really easy to get into. There's an ETF that is equivalent to the index fund if you can't afford the $3,000 minimum to get started. And an ETF is pretty much pretty close to the same thing with some nuanced differences, but the minimum investment is the price of one share rather than the $3,000 minimum that Vanguard requires. And that's what I would recommend. So and then after that, you get your feet wet, you learn more about what you're doing, you can venture off into some other things. I know people have been talking about uh, crypt cryptocurrency index funds. I know I've seen some stuff on 5G index funds, index funds that are focused on the 5G infrastructure and network of um, uh, the, you know, the, the cell phone data that rolls out. And then um, I've seen stuff on REITs. And uh, most recently, um, I've incorporated a, a REIT v VNQ, the REIT ETF from Vanguard into my portfolio. And then uh, there's there's a whole bunch of other, there's, there's index funds that are focused on growth, growth and income, um, income specific, uh, 
yeah, there's there's just so many different categories that you could potentially invest in um, and still stick with the the benefits of having a diversified index fund. So that's definitely what I would recommend. But at the end of the day, dollar cost averaging is really the route to go, in my opinion. That's contributing pretty much the same amount consistently each month. And no matter what the market is doing, this gives you a uh, this takes away the emotions. This takes away um the things that you could potentially do to sabotage your own trading or your own uh, investing account and really keeps you from like day trading your money and things like that. Um, you can't control the market, but you can control how much you contribute and how often a dollar cost averaging removes emotion from the equation and capitalizes on the fact that the stock market will return about 8% on average over the long term. And when you're talking about financial independence, some point in the future, 10, 15, 20 years from now, um, you're not, you don't need 20 to 30% returns that you see day traders making on YouTube. Um, you don't need that stuff. You need, I mean, you can do the math, but you need six to 10% and you can hit that, hit your number just depending on how much money that you invest. And so, uh, while, you know, instead of focusing on the things that are outside your control, really your rate of return, um, the market, you can't control when we're going to go into recession. You can't control those things, but you can capitalize on, uh, different things that the market does. You can capitalize on a recession by contributing more money. You can capitalize on the market, uh, fears. When you see the market dipping down, you can you can contribute more. You can change the timing of your dollar cost averaging con contributions. You can contribute at the beginning of the month or the end of the month or mid month. Um, you can you can split it between the two beginning and end of the month. You can front load and uh, invest a lot more at the beginning half of the year versus the second half of the year. There's a lot of studies that show that that's um, that's beneficial to do as well. While that's getting away from dollar cost averaging, it's still a method that you can use that's better than just inadvert just randomly deciding when you're going to in inject money into the market and uh, it will help you with uh, bad timing. So you're not supposed to time the market. Um, it's, you know, the saying timing the market is or timing the market is better than timing the market. Um, but you can uh, change, you know, the intervals at which you do uh, invest. As long as it's consistent over time, you're probably going to be all right. So the best method I've talked about a bunch. Um, it's I didn't invent this. It's uh, I am the only one on the internet I think using these this acronym to describe the four steps uh, that I would recommend to um, reaching financial dependence, and they are very simple. And that is on purpose. And the idea is to get people interested, give people the framework, and then they can dive in and uh, learn the deep dark rabbit hole that is uh, it is financial independence. Um, so. BEST stands for budget, emergency fund, savings rate, total stock market. Uh, everyone should implement an every dollar budget because your household is a business. You generate income, you have expenses, and at the end of the day, you need to be profitable. And so having an every dollar budget allows you to know exactly how much money you're bringing in each month and exactly where that money is going. You can't control it if you can't see it. Number two, an emergency fund, E for emergency fund. Self-insure yourself against emergencies. This protects your nest egg and allows it to grow with compound interest. If you don't have an emergency fund, you're likely going to put it on a credit card when uh, your tires go bad and you need four tires to put on your vehicle. There goes 1200 bucks, and uh, you're going to put it on your credit card. Well, the thing that stinks is that if you have compounding emergencies more than one at a time, you're going to be putting thousands of dollars in your credit card potentially, and you're going to stop, probably going to stop, contributing to the market and your investment and possibly even have to pull money out of those to cover 
whatever emergency that you have. I like to keep $10,000 liquid cash in our high savings or high yield savings account. And that helps me sleep at night. I don't keep a 12 month emergency fund on hand. And that's not what I recommend other people to do. That's just what works best for our family. I'd rather have more money in the market and I can always pull out my contributions out of a REIT if like if things really got bad, like real bad. And I'm talking about like super bad, like, like, I don't know, like I can't even describe the emergency that it would happen for like that to happen. So the way that we would take care of an emergency is that we would go our liquid cash first. And the average emergency that an American family has is about $500. Um, and unfortunately, the average American can't afford that. They can't cover that expense. Um, well, my wife and I are able to cash flow enough money each month to cover like five times that kind of emergency. And then in addition to that, um, and that's today, in a couple of years when daycare falls off, uh, there really won't be an emergency that we won't, that, that we haven't experienced yet that we wouldn't be able to cash flow. And, um, and that's just because we've worked so hard on increasing our income over the last decade. Uh, and so if, if it were to, if something were to use up all of our liquid cash emergency fund, which in 10 years of marriage hasn't yet, um, we would probably put some on a card and then we'd have 30 days to pull money out of different areas to cover it. Um, but that's yet to be seen. And we have plenty of insurance. We've got, um, everything that we need personally to take care of. So for us, $10,000 emergency fund is perfect. We're also both highly employable. Kayla's probably not going to lose her job as a teacher. And if she did, she would find another school to teach at. Um, I have um, a lot of education in different industries. Um, most recently, my master's in business administration and um, been at my software sales job long enough that I'm fully qualified to get a job doing something similar or equal to or better than what I'm doing now. Uh, I can work remotely, uh, especially in this industry that's super popular, um, as well as we could potentially move if we had to for work. So um, I could go get a job tomorrow if I had to, uh, even if it isn't the job that I absolutely wanted to have, it would definitely help make that difference and cover our expenses. Okay, savings rate. S for savings rate. Decrease your expenses and increase your income. Your savings rate is the total amount of money that you save versus the total income that you bring in. If you bring in uh, $1,000 a month and you save $100, your savings rate is 10%. T for total stock market. A high savings rate is no good if you don't put your money to work. Consider passive low fee index funds that track the total stock market. So if you do those four things over time consistently, each month and you have a partner if you're married or whatever your situation is if there's more than one person contributing to your finances and they're on board and they're participating uh, or if you're single and you can manage this yourself uh, budget emergency fund savings rate total stock market you are going to be in the like top one percent of all americans uh, and when it comes to personal finance, congratulations, congratulations, you can achieve your goals in the future. The only levers you really need to change here, um, budgeting is pretty simple and self-explanatory. Emergency fund, pretty simple, self-explanatory. The two things that are really important is your savings rate, how much money you're actually saving, and then investing that money, making sure you're putting that money to work. And your rate of return, your time, and your savings rate, how much you actually contribute is the levers that will get you to financial independence. And if you want to get there quicker, you just push down the gas pedal a little more. You contribute a little more money, uh, maybe uh, get a little more into the growth side of things when it comes to total stock market investing. And uh, that's increase your income. You know, that's, that's, that's what you need to do. I have a plug in this post for Saveology. Uh, Saveology is a free financial planning tool. 
and I am an affiliate for them. I've gone through their, um, I put my information in and filled out everything. It's pretty simple. And the only personal information they require is an email address. And you can put your first name or any first name and, and the information that you provide, your income and stuff, you can put whatever numbers you want. It doesn't actually check against anything. And, um, but obviously your output is only as good as your input. Um, and then what it does, the reason why it's free is because then they have an opportunity after you complete it and you get your report card and get some action items. They have an opportunity to say, hey, why don't you look at Betterment? Hey, why don't you look at M1 Finance? Um, and so they get a chance to kind of uh, offer other services to you. You don't have to take them. I haven't been spammed email wise. I haven't, um, I haven't had a bad experience as a result of giving them my email. But in these kind of situations, I have a, an email set up just, uh, just for that, just in case it's kind of a spam email uh, that I give out um, to these kind of websites. Uh, but very pleased with uh, what they have to offer. Um, you can invite your friends to be able to unlock more things along that financial plan. And so uh, definitely something that worth checking out. Um, like I said, I did it myself and got my report card and saw some things that I need to work on. And some of the questions that they're going to ask are like, how much money do you make? What type of assets do you own? And what type of retirement accounts do you have? Stuff like that. Uh, it's similar to like when you do the questionnaire on uh, personalcapital.com. So if you go to the website, fatherfamily.com, and you just go to my latest blog post um, that's about, about the same topic, creating a financial plan, there's a link right there. If you use that link, you can go to the website and uh, uh, get your free financial plan in about five minutes. All right, so the last bit is to involve your family. My number one recommendation is to combine your income with your spouse. Um, I there's really no like I would be happy to debate anybody interested in, in debating that. Um, I'm a firm believer from a belief system standpoint, from a uh, efficiency standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, pretty much every single standpoint you can name. I'm a believer that. If you're married, you should combine your income. You're combining everything else in your life. You should combine your finances. And it's so important, uh, in my opinion, that I think I see that as um, keeping one foot out, right? So if you get married and you're just not quite all in and you're going to keep one foot out and maybe keep your finances separate, just you're going to face so many things as a married couple that so many financial things that come up, it's so much easier if you and your spouse are on the same page when it comes to finances. It's finances, religion, um, kids. There's another one. I can't think of it. Um, how you discipline your kids, things like that, that like you should really nail down before getting married. I'm not one to judge and I'm not a marriage counselor, but, uh, i I know that our marriage would be in a completely different place today had we not have already had this figured out and combined our income from the age of like 19 um, when we got first got married. So uh, that's all I'm going to say on that. I'm interested for feedback, and obviously there's going to be some people that are uh, have contrarian uh, viewpoints on that, and that's totally fine. Um, that's just my stance, and that's, that's how I see uh, the best route forward to maximize your potential to reach something like financial independence retire early. Next, I don't believe kids should be burdened with the stress of finances, but I do think they can benefit from a strong financial education. We take every opportunity to capitalize on teachable moments like explaining a house mortgage or the reason for budgeting, um, assets versus liabilities, things like that as the kids get older, uh, and then obviously using their allowances to help build a positive relationship with money, to learn how to manage it and understand that it's a tool and not something to, to idle or worship. Um, my wife and I enjoy talking finances with a glass of red wine and a comfortable setting. Most recently, I've well, not most. I've always I've always enjoyed craft brew, craft beer, but um, most recently I've been getting into the real hazy um, 
high alcohol content uh, IPAs. And I'm super stoked because I used to be into home brewing and I had made wine in the past and I'd made cider um, a few times. And uh, that's what my bachelor's degree is in, is viticulture and enology. So grape growing and winemaking. And that's a whole story unto itself. Um, but uh, I'm excited to get back into home brewing. My birthday is next, we're in two weeks, and uh, my birthday gift to myself was uh, a new homebrew setup. So pretty excited about that. Um, but yep, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was helpful to you. Um, hoping, hoping to tr- start getting into more complex topics, uh, but while still trying to keep things super simple for the people that I'm trying to reach. Uh, my ideal, ideal listener slash reader is 24 years old to 35 years old and not familiar with financial independence, not familiar with budgeting or maximizing their finances, finances, really the new, new person to this lifestyle. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy and I'm not trying to have people that are very knowledgeable in the subject, but I really want to help a lot of people. And if you're, you know, if you've already consumed everything on the internet about financial independence, and then you come find my website, it may not be as complex as you're hoping for. Um, But that's for a good reason, too, because this stuff is not difficult. It's super simple. And the philosophy is so simple, but the execution is very difficult. A lot of self-control, a lot of um, uh, keeping yourself in check, uh, keeping your ego in check, keeping your uh, lifestyle in check and really preventing lifestyle creep. And so it's so important um, to follow the rule of basics. And you, you can't imagine the amount of people that will tell me that they're frugal or they're uh, minimalist when it comes to finances. And then you see them drop hundreds and hundreds of dollars on really frivolous things slash services. And you're like, what are you doing? And then you find out that they don't even budget. And then you're like, hey, you're telling yourself a different story than what you're actually doing. And that's, I mean, that's fine. That's your life, but you can't say that you're uh, living this minimalist lifestyle or you're pursuing financial independence um, in an extreme fashion, right? And so it's usually the ones that are really outspoken about how great they're doing are the ones that may not be doing as great as they say they are. Um, Anyways, that's kind of a, let me get off my soapbox. I hope you have a great work week coming up and thank you so much for supporting the channel. Every time you listen to a podcast or come to the website and read an article, you're helping sustain the website itself. And like I said, we've just reached a point where it's self-sustaining. So thank you so much for your support. Couldn't have done it without you. And uh, here's to the future. I'm so excited to see where we end up. A big goal of mine was to get to 10,000 viewers, listeners a month. And um, we're almost there. And that goal was set to be one year from the time of buying my domain, which was mm, end of May. So we're going to say June 1st. And um, so we got four months to get there. And well, less than that. We got three months to get there. And I'm super excited to see how that pans out. Um, Thanks again. And I hope you have a great work week.